Today's scripture comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. And if you're using a pew Bible, that's page 856. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty and has done great he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of God. That's a little bit of an odd Sunday. We have our, the youth up in the um, mountains for their retreat. All right. I was up there on um, Friday night. And, um, and then, of course, we have a number of our, our, our church members up there, especially the college students. Um, welcome to those, of, those uh, handful of you youth students who didn't go up to the... I feel kind of bad for you, quite frankly, <laughs> that you're here and not there. All right. But, um, but I'm happy that you came to worship. And um, I'm really glad to be here. Um, just a quick, quick little story. Um, it was my job to bring six teenagers from the Native American reservation that we serve, you know, um, the Bishop Reservation. And I was out in Mammoth, which, cause we, and we were supposed to take a one-hour flight from Mammoth to San Francisco um, Friday afternoon. But due to weather, they canceled the flight. And so at 4 o'clock p.m. on Friday, I made this decision that we were going to drive. <laughs> and I drove eight and a half hours with six Native American kids uh, stuffed in this Dodge Voyager, which just barely has enough to seat seven people. Uh, and so, and we got there around um, 12.45 a.m. Friday night. There's a stretch between, on Highway 58, when you're going into Bakersfield, I, I kid you not, in Bakersfield, and um, Sleet, it started to sleet. You guys know what sleet is? It's frozen rain, okay? And frozen rain is coming down, and I've been driving for hours. I'm tired. And the kids in the back are making, you know, junior high jokes, and I'm like, eh. Okay, I've been listening to junior high jokes for like three hours. I'm like, this is really getting annoying. But 
They're laughing back there, and I'm like this. <laughs> Jesus, you, you need to get us through this stretch, because I, I feel like we could die. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm, I'm really thankful to be here, so I'm, I'm not kidding. Um, let, let's get into God's word, okay? <laughs> God saved my life so I can uh, give you his word today, okay? <laughs> um, uh, just to get into this, this is a Christmas, and um, all of you know what Christmas is like according to culture, according to tradition. But do you know what Christmas is in the Bible? What is from the Bible? And um, so, you know, you, it doesn't take anybody, any, you just go outside and you get Christmas according to culture. Boom, it hits us according to culture. You know, these things, you know, snowflakes. I mean, does this, this snowflakes have anything to do with Jesus? I mean, I, I don't object to this, okay? But, I mean, because I, we're, we're Americans and this, uh, <clears throat> I don't have a problem with us celebrating Christmas according to culture. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> Let's try to save people from the, on the, in the recording from that, okay? But, um, but we're here to hear about Christmas from God's word, from the Bible. And, um, and so this is a particularly beautiful passage, but it's a beautiful passage because it's actually a very disturbing passage. I preached on this two years ago. Uh, one of our brothers, uh, Walter, he said, that was really depressing. <laughs> um, so I'm, we're going to take another shot at it, okay? <laughs> Same passage, okay? And um, so in three parts... Part one, what's actually in there? In other words, what's actually in the Bible? All right? Part one, what's actually in there? Part two, two kinds of self-centeredness. This passage talks about pride. And um, I don't know if, you are, if you're a person that is aware of your pride or that fights your pride. If you're not very well of your pride, you don't consider yourself prideful, and you don't fight your pride, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Two kinds of self-centeredness. <clears throat> and part three, the freedom of humility and the majestically lowly God. Um, part one, what's actually in there? Um, you know, you grow up in church and, or if you, maybe you didn't even grow up in church, you just kind of know that they say this stuff in church. And Christmas has, you, you know, a lot of people, there, there's like, you know, you, you just see this. You don't even have to grow up in church to know this. You drive down the street and somebody, maybe it's, you know, in a public building. It could be on somebody's front lawn. And you have that nice little picture. You got the Mary and Joseph and the lambs and the shepherds. And, you know, you, you got the, 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 there's three wise men. By the way, they, they, nobody, they, we have no idea if there was three. There might have been two. There might have been ten. Okay, but for some reason, there were three gifts. So everybody thinks there are three wise men. And so we have this kind of hazy, nice Sunday school idea. But let, let me tell you, so everybody thinks, oh, I know Christmas is a nice Sunday school idea. If you actually get into the Bible, it's not a nice Sunday school story. Um, so sometimes as, as, a, as a pastor, part of what I feel like I'm doing is I have to fight your Sunday school, okay? Well, I have to fight what you learned as a kid and this little nice, you know, cute Christmas idea because it's not cute. It's not cute. This story isn't cute. It's, it's, a, it's very disturbing. And I, I said this two years ago. It, it's spiritually, it, it's a punch in the face. So a big chunk of what we're looking at today is something that Mary said. Is there anybody next to to Jesus, I mean, there are few people in the world more famous than Mary, really. 
I mean, is there a president, is there a rock star, is there a movie star that holds a candle to Mary in terms of fame? But if you actually go into the Bible, there's not much about Mary. <laughs> there really isn't. And there's only a few things that we know that she actually said, and this is a big chunk of what she said. And it's a, it's a famous thing, and it's, it's so famous that we have a name for it. It's called the Magnificat. And um, what she says is, a, a, wow, it is a punch in the face. I mean, this, this young, she, she was a girl when she said this. I mean, she, she probably is maybe 16. So think about that the next time. <laughs> you know, you're hanging out with your, you know, those of you in the youth, or you're, you're, those of you in college, you're like, I'm 22, or you're 26. Um, just think that one of the most famous people of all time said this when she's like maybe 16. <laughs> okay? So this is what we're getting into today, and it's disturbing. Um, l- l- let's get into what is so disturbing. I, 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 just first, the, the first portion. Um, Mary. Mary is, is uh, pregnant. <clears throat> and she's pregnant with no man but from, by God. She knows this is a, a child because an angel came to her and said, well, this is the son of God, okay? <laughs> and um, so then she goes, she knows that she has a cousin named Elizabeth, and she goes to visit Elizabeth. Now, so for those of you who may not know the Bible, Elizabeth is also pregnant and I preached on this last week. And Elizabeth is also going to have a very important baby, who is um, John the Baptist, who is the one who's going to preach and pave the way for the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And, um, and I want you to just have a little picture of this. This is not a cute Sunday school story. <laughs> Mary goes to visit, it's probably her cousin or second cousin or very, some distant relative, but they're related in some way. And here's Elizabeth. Elizabeth, is, she's an old woman, and she's pregnant. And it's in a culture, as I shared with you last week, that, um, that values family. Every culture has something that they value, and they celebrate and make it at the center of their culture. Whatever that is, if you, you, know, if you uh, contribute to the thing that we value, we honor you. If you don't, we look down on you. That's how it works. In our culture, it's being smart, it's being talented. Those people have great talent, whether it's like being a rock star or being a football player or being a brilliant scholar, right? Those are the people we value. But, but there's all kinds of sniggering and like mean things that we say to people who don't. You know, we have names for them. We call them like white trash, right? I mean, it's horrible. But you guys all know these terms. Why? Because they're poor. Because they live in towns that, that, um, that don't have the most talented people. They don't make lots of money. They don't contribute to the companies that make us rich. And that, make us, that gives us our, our, our cool little gadgets and our toys. And, and all these things that we love to see on TV and the movies and our, and our fancy clothes. All these things. The people who don't contribute to those things, those people are not valued. And in this culture, what they value is family. And so you know what's important to have family? you got to have kids. So you know what's one of the most important things in this culture? It's women. Women who have babies. So if you're an old woman who couldn't have a baby 
You're the equivalent of what we would consider white trash. That's Elizabeth. Elizabeth has very, very low status. And so for most of her life, she probably felt like people look at me and they just look, feel sorry for me or they look down on me or they ignore me. I'm just an old maid and nobody thinks I'm much around here. And by the way, I'm saying these things and I know that this is kind of a painful thing. Christmas can be a painful thing for people. Um, but this is the Bible. <laughs> this is what's in the Bible. And you know why it's in the Bible? It's, it's to say to people who feel like Elizabeth, God sees you. He knows you. There are people who, who's, who's uh, right now, in our culture, because of the way the economy is swung or because they hit a certain age and, and they're not as useful in their industry as they used to do or their industry shifted and they're not so useful, people feel like her. And so, but that's Christmas. This is Christmas. <laughs> God is saying, for you, left behind by the world and looked down upon the world, God is saying, I see you. I know you. And the other person is Mary. And um, you're thinking, well, Mary, it's just great for Mary, right? No, it's not great for Mary. (laughs) Mary probably has um, rumors going around about her. She's engaged, but she's pregnant. (laughs) This is a very conservative culture. You do not get pregnant while you're engaged. Because while you're in, if you're pregnant before you've actually been married, everybody around goes, what kind of a S-L-U-T are you? I, it doesn't say so in the Bible. I suspect part of the reason why Mary is going to visit Elizabeth is because she's just getting away from the rumors and all the people look down on her. So Elizabeth and her have this incredible secret. God did a miracle in both of us. Everybody else thinks it's stupid. They look down on her for one reason. They look down on Mary, me, for another reason. I think I'll go visit her. I think that's what's going on. So here's this 16-year-old girl. I mean, come on. If a 16-year-old girl walked into our church and she was pregnant, we would all go, "Uh uh-huh. If a 16-year-old girl walks onto high school campus and she's pregnant, everybody goes, "Uh uh-huh. You think it was any different back then? And it's even, and that's, and ours is a very sexually promiscuous society. How about back then? A very sexually, you know, very strict society. And other things, another thing you should know about Mary, she's really poor. Not a little poor, really poor. And how do you know, how do I know that? Well, because the next story in the next chapter is there's Joseph and there's Mary and they go into the town and and all kinds of people are flooding into this town. You guys know the town's Bethlehem because if you have ancestors from that town, that's where you have to go for the census. And so you guys know what it's like. Anytime there's like a real event in the city, the hotels fill up. You know, when Super Bowl Sunday or just any kind of special holiday, people come into town and it fills up. And they couldn't get any room. So that little detail, well, it's a nice, cute little story. They're in a manger. Let's put the baby in a manger. It's a cute little story. Let's go into the stable and have a baby. Are you kidding? What that means is they're 
not just poor, they're really poor. She's really poor. Um, here's a little part of the punch in the face. If you or I could go be there in this scene, Elizabeth, pregnant old lady, I don't know, back then, I'm guessing, 50. And 16-year-old girl pregnant, Elizabeth is a little further along than Mary. Um, if you're there and see their low status, how rejected they are in society, and how poor she is, especially Mary, <laughs> the most famous people in the whole world, dirt poor. A lot of us in this room wouldn't want to be there. How do I know that? Because you live in the city. <laughs> And I know lots of you. And I know lots of you don't hang out with poor people. And you don't hang out with poor people because it's uncomfortable. A lot of us, we don't like being around poor people. And the poorer they are, the more poor they are, the more we don't want to be around them. So just think about that. There's Mary. Mary, mother of Jesus. One of the most famous, one of the most important people, the most adored, just celebrated, perhaps the most celebrated woman of all time, and rightfully so. And if you would meet her, you wouldn't even like her. A good bet. A lot of us would just be uncomfortable being around her. That's the Bible. This is Christmas. Um, there is a portion you know, if you don't know this, this, a lot of people don't actually read the Magnificat, what Jesus, what, not Jesus, what Mary says. They actually don't pay attention to it. If you're, then you, just this thing I just painted out to you, her state, her place in the world, it's at the bottom. And her cousin's place in the world, it's pretty bad. It's at the bottom. And then she says this thing. My soul magnifies the Lord, for he has looked on the humble, <laughs> the humble estate of his servant. He's looked at dirt poor people. I mean, in America, she'd be, she'd be white trash. I'm not kidding. Or if she was Native American, she'd be at the bottom of a reservation. She's like, she's like a poor person of a poor people. <laughs> That's who she is. So when she says this, she's not kidding. She's not being sentimental. She's just telling it to us, tell it to us just straight. This is who she is. And then she goes on to say this, this difficult thing. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. He has filled the hungry with good things, but the rich he has sent away empty. Oh, my goodness. The rich he has sent away empty. This is God's word. Mary said this. I just want to make this one more point before um, I go into um, part two of my message. Um, this is a, a very expensive city. And it is a kind of hotshot city. Literally, it is a global hotshots place. People from <laughs> um, some of the best of the best from around the world, all the most talented, orient people, they come to the city. And that's why it's so expensive. But have any of you ever lived in a town that's not that expensive? 
and why everybody else is not a social climber. Have you ever lived in a place like that? I have. I mean, my, my wife and I, we lived in greater Philadelphia for, for seven plus years. And we lived in a suburb um, called Glenside, or uh, it's called Abington Township. And Abington Township is about as middle, middle class as you can get. I mean, literally, the, the, the median income there is $50,000, which is the median income of America, by the way. Okay? Um, you know what the median income of, 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 of our county is? 90,000 plus. It's like, 80% higher than the middle of middle of America. I've lived in middle, middle America. And most of the people there are not constantly thinking about how to pay for my mortgage. Most people there are not thinking about you know, the next car that they're going to buy. They're not, they don't, they're not even thinking about their next iPhone because a lot of them don't even have an iPhone. And they, don't even, they, never even think that they, they almost never talk about their gadgets. And most of our neighbors do not talk about sales or clothes or their hair. It's just like a whole other world. It's crazy. It's like a whole other world. And the reason I'm trying to point this out to you is, if you live in this place, if you live in socioeconomic well-being, your mind is warped. And I'm not trying to say, you, you're warped. I'm straight because I lived in Philadelphia. No, I'm warped too. I know it. I feel it all the time. I feel it all the time. When I went on the, reser when I went on the reservation a couple days ago, I was like, I'm warped. <laughs> this passage is on my mind all week long because I know I'm going to preach. <laughs> I walked on, on that reservation. I was like, I'm warped. <laughs> I'm, in this, I'm in here. The rich he will send away. I got scared. <laughs> I walked on that reservation and said, that, that's me. I'm not like Mary. I'm more like the people God saying, you, 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 had your, you, you had what you want. Wow, this is a fun message, isn't it? <laughs> this is Christmas from the Bible. From the Bible. God, one of the things that God is always dealing with when he does deals with people is just that people make money, they climb up in the world, and they get a certain kind of comfort, and then they think, I'm a good person. <laughs> you know, I don't know anybody who has money that doesn't think they're a good person. <laughs> Almost everybody knows, especially if they made their money as opposed to just inheriting it. The people who worked hard to get in college, and then they go into college, and then they got a good job, and then they climbed up and go, and then they, you know what they all think? I'm a good person. Those are the hardest people to get saved. They're some of the worst people on the planet. A lot of them are going to hell. And they're locking the doors from the inside with their money and their pride. This is Christmas. It's not a fun message, is it? Um, I want to say this last thing, and then we'll go to part two. I'm sorry to be so mean. I'm sorry in one sense, because I, I don't like being mean. OK, well, that's not true. Sometimes I like being mean, OK? <laughs> okay. That's not 100% that's not of the It's like 80, 90% of the time, I don't, I don't like being mean. But the other 10%, I, I do get a perverse joy out of being mean, OK? Um, this is not one of them, OK? I, I don't want to get up to say these things. But it is my job to let you know what the Bible says, what God says, to cut through all the, 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 the blinding haze, the cloud of culture the way man covers up what Christmas is, because we kind of want to make it something comfortable for us. But God is interested in reaching us. In order to reach us, he has to cut through our BS. 
He has to open blind eyes. Do you want to be a part of the, do you want to have your pride? I come to this passage every year because I want my pride scattered away. I want my pride scattered away. And I'm prideful. Let's go to part two. Um, I'll, I'll, let me go to one of my mainstays, Tim Keller. Pastor Tim Keller wrote this wonderful book, The Reason for God, Belief in an Age of Skepticism. And, um, and there's a portion out of here called Two Forms of Self-Centeredness. I want to talk about that. I think it's, I think, gosh, he says it so well. It's, it's kind of like cheating. <laughs> you know, since I, since I give him the credit... Then I, I'll read out of this thing. Then I don't have to come up with the material. I'll just like you know get it to give it to you, okay? But you know, a lot of you guys don't read these kinds of books, but I do. So at least I do the work of reading it, and then I'll go, oh well, I'll just let him say it, okay? Um, two forms of self-centeredness. In Robert Louis Stevenson's famous book, *The Strange Case of Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde*, Doctor Jekyll comes to realize that this is the way it's put in the book that he is an incongruous compound of good and evil. You guys know the story, right? I don't know anybody who's read the book, but you've all seen the cartoons, right? There's a cartoon, and then there's a Dr. Jekyll. That's the good guy. And then there's, and then there's a, you know, he drinks a potion, and then the, like, the evil guy comes out, Mr. Hyde. That's every, it's, it's so famous. But actually what the, the story is saying is a little surprising. Um, his bad nature is holding his good nature back. That's what, that's what um, you know, Dr. Jekyll thinks. I, I, goes, I realize I have a good nature and a bad nature, and my bad nature is screwing me. <laughs> he knows that he can aspire to do things, but he cannot follow through on them. Are you like that? You, know, you aspire to do something good, but you can't follow through? You have a problem? I'm like that. Hmm? Therefore, Dr. Jekyll comes up with a potion... He comes up with a potion to separate out the good nature and the bad nature. That, that's what it is. You drink out the potion, and that's why, let's just keep all the bad stuff over there, and then I can be purely good. That's the idea. His hope that is that his good self, which will come out during the day, will be free from the influence of evil, and will be able to realize its goals. However, when he takes the potion one night... And then the bad side comes out. He's far more evil than he thought he would be. He's way more evil than he thought he'd be. Here's how he describes it. I knew myself at the first breath of this new life to be more wicked, tenfold more wicked. Sold a slave to my original evil, and the thought in that moment braced and delighted me like wine. You get it? I knew I was ten times more evil, and I was delighted with it. Wow. Edward Hyde, that's the bad guy, his every act and thought centered on himself. On himself. Edward Hyde is so named, not because he's hideous, because, you know, the cartoons always make him look hideous, but that's not true. That's not the, how the book actually puts it. But because he's hidden. See, Hyde? Mr. Hyde, because he's hidden. He thinks solely of his own desires. He doesn't care in the slightest who he hurts in order to gratify himself. He kills if someone gets in his way. 
Stevenson is saying that even the best of people hide from themselves what is within. It's an enormous capacity for egotism, self-absorption, and regard for your own interests over those of all others. Self-aggrandizement is at the foundation of so much of the misery of the world. It is the reason that the powerful and the rich are indifferent to the plight of the poor, just like Mary said. It is the reason for most of the violence, crime, and warfare in the world. It is at the heart of most cases of family disintegration. You come from a broken family? Here it is. Everybody's got a Mr. Hyde in them. We hide from ourselves our self-centered capacity for acts of evil, but situations arise and act like a potion, and they come out. So most of the time, we're hiding it, the Mr. Evil. Stay down there. We hide it. But then some, some circumstance arises, and then guess what? Mr. Hyde comes out. It's like, I'm always a really nice person. But then, you know, uh, my job went off to India. And now our family is stressed by money all the time. And I always thought I was a really good husband. But Mr. Hyde just showed up. Happens all the time. Once Jekyll realizes that he has the capacity for evil acts, he decides to clamp down. Isn't that what we all do? We all get, you know, we're going to become good and get self-disciplined. He's going to clamp down on all this terrible self-centeredness at the core of his being. And in a sense, what he's doing, he's just getting religion. He's going to get self-disciplined. He solemnly resolves not to take the, the potion anymore. He devotes himself to charity and good works. You know, as we get good. Partially as atonement for Edward, what Edward Hyde has done, the crimes that he's done. And partially as an effort to smother the selfish nature and acts of self-centeredness. Right? Okay, do you, guys, do you guys all get this? I hope so. This is everybody. <laughs> But this is the part that's not everybody, I think. This part's more interesting. That's the first kind of self-centeredness. We all got a Mr. Hyde inside that thinks about themselves, is self-absorbed. It's about me. It's about me. You know, and especially about my money and my comfort and all those kinds of things. Okay, uh, let's, let, me get a little, um, let me just let you in on a little um, self-confession here. I'm a professional Christian. <laughs> and many of you... Respect me enough to listen to me drone on about God because you, you, you think I must have something of godliness. But you know what I do when I'm bored? <laughs> I daydream about what it would be like if I'm the hero of my life. Sometimes I get money. Sometimes I save the girl. That's why we like these movies. I like these movies. And sometimes some person that's badgering me that I think is a bad person I, you know, I have this daydream that they'll be defeated and I will look out, come out looking great. Mr. Hyde, Susung Park, same guy, <laughs> same exact guy. I, I absolutely know this. But here's where it gets more interesting. One day, Dr. Jekyll's sitting on a bench at the park thinking about all the good he's been doing and how much a better a man he was, despite Edward Hyde. I'm so much better than the majority of people. And then here's what he says. 
I, real, I resolved in my future conduct to redeem the past. I'm going to make up for the bad stuff I've done. And I can say with honesty that my resolve was fruitful to some good. Yeah, I think I can honestly say I did some good. You know how earnestly in the last months of the last year I labored to relieve suffering. I helped people who were suffering. You know that much was done for others by me. <laughs> but as I smiled, comparing myself with other men, comparing my active goodwill with the lazy cruelty of their neglect, at the very moment of that most vainglorious thought, a qualm came over me. A horrid nausea and the most dreadful shuddering. I looked down at myself and I realized I was Edward Hyde again. No potion. This is the deadly turn of events. For the first time, Jekyll becomes Hyde involuntarily without the potion. And this is the beginning of the end. Unable to control his transformations any longer, Jekyll kills himself. This is how, that's how the book ends, by the way. Stevenson's insight here, I think, is profound. Why would Jekyll become Hyde without the potion? Like so many people, Jekyll knows he's a sinner. So he tries desperately to cover his sin with great piles of good works and personal discipline. Yet his, his efforts do not actually shrivel his pride and his self-centeredness. You know what they do? The efforts to like, make yourself a good person, it actually increases the pride. It swells up the pride. And it makes you even more self-centered. They lead to superiority and self-righteousness, pride, and, and suddenly, look, Jekyll is Hyde again. Not in spite of his goodness, here we go, but because of his goodness. How do you like that? Um, I'll just skip forward this part. Ironically, you know, there's a lot of people who think if I just avoid sin, there's this, there's this he, Keller loves to quote this uh, famous Southern author, Flannery O'Connor. She says, the way to avoid Jesus was just to avoid sin. A lot of us, you come and we do Christianity, and in a weird way, it's, to, it's our way to avoid Jesus. With our lips, we worship and say we, we uh, believe in Jesus, but actually, then we're going to, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try harder to not be a bad person, but it's just a way to really avoid Jesus. At the end of the day, it's ours, we're still the one who's Lord. We're still the one who's the Savior. Two types of self-centeredness. You know, this passage says that God exalts those of humble estate, but he scatters the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. In the thoughts of their He scatters the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Um, I hope that you will not be scattered away. This is a tough message, I know. I'm like sticking it to you in the thoughts of your heart, if you're listening. 
I'm preaching to me. I know this sin really, really well. I wake up in the morning and I, I fight it. But you know what I realize? I'll never win. That's what you need to realize this. You'll never win. The only way to really fight it is you need a Savior. And He'll fight it for you. And you know how He fights it? He fights it with His humility. That's how He does it. Let me close this message. The freedom of humility and a majestically lowly God. I'm just going to give you this tip on humility. Maybe it'll help you. So, but don't depend on the tip because it, it, it won't be enough. I'm telling you, you're just going to keep losing this fight. <laughs> okay. Pride, your pride, my pride, it'll kick you in the head and you'll beat you down and you'll fight it and you lose. <laughs> but you know what? You've got to fight it every day. But here's what humility is like. I think our time and our age is so bad on humility. <laughs> We're so stupid on humility, we don't even know what it actually is. <laughs> what we think is humility is not humility. <laughs> so that's why I, I, I felt like I need to give you this tip, because it'll help. Right? Um, we think humility, and Kelly likes to put it this way, humility is not thinking less of yourself. So if Steph Curry, you went up to Steph Curry, and he said, oh, I'm not that good a basketball player. This is what we say. Someone like praises you, and then we say something like to lower ourselves, right? We lower, like make ourselves lower and less. Oh, I got to be humble, so oh, I'm really not that good. So you go up to Steph Curry. I'm just trying to give you an extreme example. Hey, Steph, you're not, you know, like you're such an awesome basketball player. And Steph goes, oh, I don't know if you know, Steph is a devout Christian. And he goes, oh, I was like, I, I should be humble. I'm really not that good a basketball player. <laughs> is that humility? <laughs> That's what, this is what we do to try to be humble. It's stupid. <laughs> That's not humility, okay? That's not humility. If Steph were to say that to us, we would go, That's not true. <laughs> if you actually think, first, what you just said is a total lie. You're one of the greatest basketball players on the planet. Everybody knows that. That's a fact. <laughs> <Okay>? <laughs> That's just a fact, okay? <laughs> That's like a 100-degree day and just say it's not very hot, okay? That's just stupid, right? So to say, to think like less of yourself in a way that's false, that's not humility. That's, like just, that's either a lie or it's delusional, okay? You know what humility is? This is a killer. It's thinking about yourself less. You know when you're quietly sitting there, you're not thinking about, What'd that person say about me? How did my hair look? Oh, oh gosh, you know, if we just had a little more money, then I would feel happier in my life, you know? That's, while you're quietly sitting there, you know what you're thinking about? Not you. You're quietly sitting there, and you're thinking about good things around you. You're looking at other people and saying, I bet you that person's hurting. Thinking about them, not you. That's humility. Can you do that? If you could be like that for five minutes or an hour or a day, that's a great five minutes. That's a great hour. 
And if you could be like that with your life, you would be a truly free human being. I know I'm a prideful man because I usually only do it for five minutes or an hour. <laughs> I, can't, I, barely, I barely, usually can't even do it for a whole day. But here's what Christmas is here for. To say, in this hopeless, prideful, self-centered thing we are, there's hope. This wretchedly low person named Mary went to this wretchedly low person named Elizabeth. And God himself, you know, it isn't even just that God made himself a human, which would be like one of us deciding voluntarily to become like a virus or something, some, something gross, Okay. I mean, like, talk about making himself low. But then he decides to say, I will go and make a wretchedly low, dirt poor person that most of the other people don't even like. And let's make her my mom. That's the true God. That's a humble God. That's a God, when he's sitting around, is not thinking about himself. He's looking at other people. He's thinking about us. He's thinking at other people. He's free. And it's that God. If you want to be free from the tyranny of yourself and your pride, the way you fight it is not by saying, I'm going to be humble and say lies about myself. (laughs) The way you fight it is to run to the humble, majestically low God and say, Jesus, let me be with you and think on you, and remember you, and let his humility wrap you, and help you forget yourself, and your ego can calm down, because in him you are loved, and you become freed from the shackles, the prison of your pride. That's one of the greatest gifts of Christmas. Let's pray. What a terrible thing it'd be, Lord. We probably don't look at ourselves because if we were to see that Mr. Hyde in ourselves, it would be so gross that we'd probably just hate ourselves. There are many people now, more and more as they try to live on their own, they more and more begin to hate themselves. But I pray, Lord, if there's anybody who listens to this message and is hating themselves and is suicidal, because they figured out, this is me. I pray they would hear this message, that there can be a new kind of them if they flee and run to Jesus. And most of us, Lord, for anybody listening to this message who has the guts, the honesty to say, yeah, that's me, would we go and allow, that we wouldn't be scattered away from you, but the pride would be scattered away. And that you would like the way you did for Mary, you would exalt those of humble estate that we would become lowly and humble before you. Because that's the only way to come to a truly humble God is to come to him lowly and humble. But we are so backwards and so messed up that we wouldn't know humility if it came and bit us. (laughs) And so we need your help just to even come to you 
and to be made free from the prison of ourself. And every year, Lord, I, as we come toward Christmas, I think about this. Every year, I think about this, oh, what a wretch I am in my pride. But every year, I'm so grateful that you give this gift of Christmas. And Christmas humility, the greatest thing about Christmas, it's one of the greatest things. Help us to see you now and run to you and let your humility envelop us so that we would think about ourselves less, not think less of ourselves, but think about ourselves less to be freed from ourselves. And so we would be free to think about others more and love them and serve them without it being about us. In that way, we'd be just a little bit more like you. And then we will truly be joyful and free indeed. We thank you that you are this kind of God and this is your salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.